0: <laughs> Will's gonna fall asleep halfway through the Well, Will, if you need to down.
1: crawl over there and just have a nap, that's absolutely
2: fine. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 27 of Cow Corner. Uh, we're here this week to review the quite remarkable fourth test between Australia and India, and all that came along with it, and we'll talk about the series uh, as a whole as well. I've got a full and very tired cow corner with me today. Um, let's talk through our sleeping uh, patterns at the minute, boys. You know, Great way to start the pod. Uh, Will, I'll start with you. <laughs> Have you, are you now fully nocturnal. Um, just You live on UK time, by the way, and trying to follow this India test. How has it been?
2: Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm shattered, mate, as you'd expect. Um, I've been on Australia time for, for most of the last week. Um, I did a, a full every ball stint, some midnight till 9am, whatever it was yesterday. Um, and I'm now feeling um, pretty much hungover, I think is the best way to describe it, but also buzzing.
1: Exactly. I think a lot of us have said that the kind of come down this morning, UK time from, from that test match was kind of hard to get over. Glenn over in Wyoming, you looked jaded. You know, you're trying to follow Sri Lanka, the Sri Lanka-England test and this Australia-Indian test while being on mountain time somewhere in the middle of nowhere how are you how's it been trying to follow these tests
0: Ah, oh, i'm really tired to be honest so i shouldn't really have an excuse um this morning because it's it's 10 a.m here i had to you know wake up 45 minutes ago because australia time is pretty good for watching cricket on on mountain time so the, the test starts about 5 p.m and goes around that mark and goes all the way to midnight so it's actually an ideal time i can't really complain about it um However, two things have kind of knocked me off. Number one, um, the Schoenker, uh tests, test, uh, the first one, that's less good. That starts about half nine, and because I'm still on winter break, I've tried to have um, half nine pm. That is, I've tried to have a bit of um, a bit of freedom, I guess. But that freedom just means I'm watching cricket till three am, and I had such a good <laughs> sleeping routine until then. I'd really built on it. But the point I'm trying to make for this one is, you know, the game finished about. 1am half one um, in the morning yesterday night for me but I was so buzzing I was telling you all just before we started recording it's not as if I could just close my eyes after witnessing what we're about to discuss and just suddenly I'm snoozing it really was a case of I was on Twitter checking the Indian players reactions for another 45 minutes then it was 2am and I still couldn't sleep so yeah I mean I, I blame India for such a wonderful performance ruined my night
1: i blame india too uh and zach in the uk as well you've been following the Sri Lanka england Test very closely um keeping an eye on our twitter account quite stunningly at, at four in the morning how are you uh, you know are you the least jaded out of will or glenn what do you reckon
3: i would say i'm the least jaded probably but i i wouldn't say it's you know i, I wouldn't say i'm winning any prizes for my level of uh tiredness or you know <laughs> energy at the moment yeah i've been kind of waking up at. Well, I did four o'clock on the first day of the Sri Lanka test and been doing was doing six, and then I did four o'clock last night because I was like, yeah, I'm not going to try and stay up So if I try and stay up, I might end up, you know, stay just staying up the whole time like Will did and then be a shell of a man today. But, yeah, I just did 4 a.m. Yeah, like the others have said, I feel a bit hungover today, but, you know, didn't have anything to drink at 4 a.m. this morning apart from lots of cups of tea to keep me going. <laughs> but, yeah, the... the the buzz of the uh of the wind did well, the win for India did get me through the morning of what what could have been a difficult morning after that four a.m. start. I mean, to all to
1: all kind of have this collective hangover of cricket is is we're very lucky. We're blessed. And we are only hungover because of the amount of excellent cricket we've seen. The Shrank of England test looks like a damp squib compared to what we've we've just witnessed. And what we're about to discuss. So let's talk about this amazing fourth test between Australia and India. I'll do a quick uh, summary for those who have been under a rock for the past five days. This is what roughly happened. Uh, Australia's first innings of 369 uh, looked decent. Um, spearheaded by uh, Marcus Labuschagne's second hundred of the series, 108. Uh, a good partnership between Cameron Green and Tim Payne. Um, set them up with a little collapse that led to 369. Uh, India's first innings response, 336. Um, a quite stunning partnership between uh, debutant Washington Sundar and And Shardul Thakur, who was playing his second test match. Uh, Australia's second innings, trying to set up a score for India. Um, We found out it probably wasn't enough. 294, um, a bit of quick hitting and a few cameos here and there. And then what we witnessed last night, this morning, wherever you are, uh, India's 329 for seven. Uh, They win the test by three wickets. There were 18 balls to spare. Shubham Gill's 91 and Rishabh Pant's unbeaten 50. A stunning unbeaten uh, knock. Saw them over the line. Um, The first time Australia have lost at the Gabba since 1988. uh, Against an India size who were having to to face so much on injury and the kind of the whole biosecurity bubble. What we spoke about that happened in the third test at Sydney. A a stunning victory. um, A test match. uh, One of the best test series uh, of the modern era. One of the best test matches of the modern era as well. Gosh, where do we start? I've got to start with you, Will, um, and I think we need to talk about India as a collective to start before we come on to individual performances, because this team is so resolute, so defiant, um, I can't quite believe what they've done. C- can you?
2: No, it's, it's it's completely unbelievable, and as you say, we'll get into all the specifics of you know, who bowled well, who batted well, and, and how the dynamics of the game played out, but most of which I'm, I'm probably slightly too asleep for, but... the the <laughs> The main takeaway from the game is just what an amazing achievement from such a sort of surprisingly underdog India team. You know, we we previewed the series thinking this was going to be the two best teams in the world going head to head. And then India just has so many injuries. Vera having to withdraw from the squad, going one game down with the sort of 36 all out ridiculous score. To turn it around from that point and to do so characterised by... A core group of young players, most of whom are tragically younger than me, which is making me lose a little (laughs) bit, but some unbelievable new talents, Gil, Siraj. um, You know, to have that group coming through and to show not just sort of exuberance and excitement and talent, but also resilience and courage and and clearly some unbelievable coaching behind the scenes to set up the plans that they were going to, you know, to take 20 wickets off Warner and Smith and Co. with. No disrespect to them, but players who were, who have not got the experience at this level and not having any leadership in the bowling lineup to turn to. Siraj being the senior man by the end, which is amazing. Um, and full credit to him. what what an unbelievable series he's I think we'll get I'm sure we'll get onto to Man of the series discussions later, but but Siraj has got to be up there to go through what he's been through with making his debut, not being able to attend the funeral of his father, um, suffering racist abuse from the stands. And to come through all of that and in this fifth test you could see him being the one to put his arm around Saini and go over to the other bowlers and give them tips he really took on that leading role in the bowling lineup so unbelievable performance from him and and yeah that's my main takeaway just just what an achievement
1: absolutely i think that achievement can't be understated because the the state of the indian team coming into this test match on an from an injury point of view we had no bumrah we had no shami no yadav no Kohli, no Vahari. I think we were missing we. India is we. I'm, I'm all I'm all. I'm all with India now. Um, we're missing eight first-team players. I mean, we can come on to what their 11 might look like against India or what their best 11 would be if, if everyone was fit. And it look, it's nowhere near this team. Um, Washington with only 13 first-class games. Natarajan came in with only 21 under his belt. And like you said, Will, quite amazing that Siraj, who debuted in this series, was now the senior bowler. Uh, and he kind of, he, he fit the bill. He fits that court sort of cast. He, he was, he was fantastic. Um, Glenn, sh- do you want to come on to an individual performance of any kind? I, I don't quite know where to start, but can we start with Suraj? Um, 13 wickets at 29 over across the series. Um, but I just, I just love the energy he bowls with the, the pace he bowls with his attitude as well to kind of take that senior role in, in this fourth test. Um, how good was he and how big a fine is he for India amongst a lot of fines they've had this series?
0: Yeah, I mean, he was absolutely outstanding. Um, highest uh, wicket taker uh, for India across the series. Um, we were all delighted to see him uh, end the series with his first five wicket haul um, in Test cricket. That was a lovely moment for him. Much deserved. Um, yeah, you said the stats. you know He's taking wickets at a really good rate as well. But I think you've both really outlined the... Um, other importance of him which was his energy which was his character you know um, in the context of everything we discussed in the last podcast all the negatives from this series to turn that to flip it on its head and obviously not to make that a positive but to to get something good out of it which was to turn over the aussies on their home turf there is no better way to humiliate the australians than to beat them after all the abuse they've suffered after the terrible injury circumstances After what the Aussie comms uh, were calling a bodyline attack on the Indian batsman in that final innings, it's not as if you know the Aussies realised they were in the wrong and kind of eased back or took their foot off the gas. Not that we're saying we want that, but the intensity remained there from the first ball of this series to literally the last three overs. I think they won with a couple of overs to spare. I just I cannot remember a test a four a four match test series that has gone to the final session of the final day with every single result on the table. A win for India, a win for Australia, or a draw. It, it, I, I, can't, I can't quite comprehend uh, how you can get that after playing cricket for what, almost 20 days? <laughs> yeah. it, it, it really is extraordinary. And again we can't overstate that this was i want to say an india b plus team i think that's probably fair because you know half of these um players wouldn't even even have been near the team were everyone else fit and so many players to talk about um I'll, i'll let zach cop in with a few of his favorites but i could talk about this india team all day
3: Well, yeah, we had, you know, we had plenty of debutants, like you said, this series. Like if you look at the amount of the amount of test caps that a lot of these players have, you've got Shubman Gill, who looks accomplished as a test player now. It was his third test. He hit 91 and looks beautiful. I saw a great tweet that was saying his bat is sponsored by all the people who have a better cover drive than he has. Uh, (laughs) If you haven't seen his bat. His bat has no sponsor on it because oh, some of those cover drives, the pull shots. Like, it was kind of, it really looked like he was one of those bowlers you shouldn't bowl short to. Yet Australia kept bowling short to him and he kept pulling them away so confidently. So that's something to, you know, really worry about from an England perspective. I can see um, Don Best getting smacked back over his head, but we have to talk <laughs> about India. Yeah, <laughs> I thought, you know, we have said about Siraj looking brilliant. Washington Sundar. I mean, I don't want to steal Dan's thunder. I'm sure you want to talk about him, but he was brilliant. Some of his shots. Oh, the the pull for six over you know, like a backward square leg yeah. when it was you know it was they needed about a run a ball at that point and it was so confident he, he knew exactly what he was doing and he wasn't on many and he was just you know he was like oh we need about a run a ball here. Now I'm going to dung it. we haven't we haven't scored for a little while. I'm just going to hit Josh Hazelwood. You know one of the most consistent bowlers in the world over could square for six, yeah.
0: I think one observation from that final um run chase um last night for me was the impact of the IPL on the test team. Because what happened was you saw two players who are some of the best um in the IPL, um Sundar and uh Pan, treating this. It became a session. It literally became a new ball. It was 20 overs left, as we all said in our in our Cal Corner chat, it became an actual T twenty. But what I loved is it wasn't just the big hitting. It was their running between the wickets. They were lightning and they pushed every single, they tried to push it to a two. There were multiple instances where I thought the scorer had got it wrong. So I was like, there's no way they ran three in that time. The <laughs> Aussie field had literally picked it up and threw it back and then scampered through for three. So I think it'd be a very interesting um, discussion, You know, maybe comparing this to another few tests in the future. I, I think we could directly see the impact of the IPL mentality in a really positive way um, on test cricket last night, which was awesome.
1: That's a great point, Glenn. I, hadn't, I, I didn't I didn't get to watch, unfortunately, most of that day. I watched the first two hours where it was kind of setting itself up. And I think, like you said, to have, you know, what was it? 10 wickets in hand, 320 needed at the start of the day. I mean, how tasty is that for a day? And it delivered, didn't it? Um, Will, you did watch it. H- how was that? You know, people might not have seen it live. How was those la- getting those last 100, 150 runs when I do believe there was a, a sort of mini collapse when Tako went um, and Sundar went, I think um you know how was that watching it and you know as glenns alluded to uh, quite well there how did they go about it
2: yeah it was it was incredibly stressful and <laughs> and as you say yeah there were there were, there were sort of numerous points when pajara went and then when rahane went and then when washington went where it, it the wheels could have come off and it all could have gone so horribly wrong um but i think glenn's absolutely right to highlight the influence of of t20 and the interesting thing about this game as an example of that is that we often see people talking about how T20 has given test batsmen you know, more exuberant shots and more creativity. But it wasn't just that they had the shots, it was that they knew how to time an in innings, they knew how to play it sensibly. You could see the heads locking into gear as soon as they got near 20 overs, they were like, oh cool, I know how to do this. And so even though it was stressful as a fan, and, it, and the Aussie bowlers were clearly frustrated and, and stressful and running out of ideas, the batsmen seemed quite calm throughout and that was sort of surprising and, and, and very pleasant surprise. Um, they sort of knew how to time and in innings. Pant was leaving things outside the off stump, which I've never seen him do consistently. <laughs> 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 um, so it was it was sort of stressful to watch, but actually always relatively enhanced in, in terms of the plan that India set out to achieve. Um, as you say, like so many good performances towards the end. Again, I remember two and a half months ago, I think it was episode 14 of Calcorn, Corner, we called the Washington Sundar podcast. And <laughs> if it wasn't the Pant and Siraj, this would be the Washington Sundar podcast part two. <laughs> Because um, he, again, you know, half century in the first innings and, and really steadied the ship when he came in um, yesterday to to just calm things down.
1: Um, I was so happy to see him in the side on, on when they were announcing the, the team on day one. I was so excited. And we kind of hinted. I remember chatting about it in the review part of the third test thinking, ah, it's not going to happen, is it? But obviously the state that the Indian squad was in, there he was, his first spinner all of a sudden. And um, Steve Smith was his first test wicket. Uh, he took a three for in the first. I thought, great, here he goes. And then that, that batting happened, that, that partnership between him and Takor was stunning. And, you know, you all poo-pooed his batting in T20, which I mean, I'll, I'm, I'm beside. It wasn't great, but he's more of a test batsman, clearly. This this is what he's made for, right? I mean, how good was Washington Sundar? Um, I mean, does anyone want to talk about that partnership between Sundar and Takor? Because I thought that the fact they could do that and both made a good 60... Slightly deflated the Aussies who who had to win this game, and I think knowing they had to, India had to come out and bat again and whatever they might have had, does anyone think that was the key partnership of the Test match? I think they took them from 186 to way past 300 by the end.
2: Yeah, that was definitely the key partnership because I think it was it was the period of the game where. It could so easily have slipped away, and from midway, you know, India were only in the hunt for the draw. Um, and it's interesting; it sort of paralleled exactly what happened in in the Australia first innings, where I think it was Stark and Cummins put on a good partnership. To just to just as an India fan, you were kind of thinking, "Oh, they've just put on a few too many runs here that we could have cleaned up." So it was it was massively important that India then did that themselves. It was interesting on the bowling front, though. I made a note at the time that there was a period from just before tea when they were getting in together until they both got past fifty. And in that period, there was only one ball from the Aussie bowlers that was hitting the stumps. And it was an interesting example of where the, the Australian commentators talked a lot about how, you know, playing at the Gabba, the bounciest pitch in the world, was going to benefit the bowlers and be really hard to bat against, which was certainly true at times. But it also felt like the, the bowlers themselves didn't quite adapt to that, that they weren't able when they needed to, to put it on a length to hit the stumps. And it felt like as soon as Washington and Shardell kind of realised that, they sort of had the freedom to either play a shot or leave. Because there was virtually nothing actually coming out of their stumps, so they did have their work made it a little bit easier for them. But having said that, yeah, brilliant performance and, and put India in, in contention, contention to win it.
1: I mean, I want to come on now to the other debutants. So let's talk through all of them, and I want to ask you all where you think these guys sit in you know the grand scheme of things for India. It's going to be really tricky this because they've all had fairly good Test matches or even great Test matches. Yet they're you know third in the pecking order in their respective position. It's quite a bizarre situation you find themselves in. Um, Natarajan, um, the left-armer, he he looked useful at times. When there's something off the pitch and something through the air, he's a very useful left-arm seamer. Um, loved a no-ball every now and again, nerves, adrenaline. Um, and it was always at the start of his spells. But, Zach, I, I don't know what you thought of Natarajan. For me, as well as he did to to you know kind of help this team in this game, I don't think long-term he's going to be an option for particularly long, in the long form of the game. I don't know what you think.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see him in more test matches. I think maybe with, you know, we've got nine tests of England playing India. Maybe when it comes to, you know, you mentioned about him being good when it's doing a bit. So maybe in England, he'll get a test match and he might do all right. I think it's going to be difficult for any of the bowlers, like apart from Siraj, who's really proved himself. But now you you look at it, if they're going to have a three pronged pace attack, it's still going to be Bumrah Shami and maybe Siraj now, but then obviously there's so many pace bowlers who are injured. So any of these, any of these bowlers who are in here now, they are, like we've said that they wouldn't have been anywhere near the squad. Lots of them weren't, weren't even in the squad at the start of the tour. So I think, yeah, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to have counted themselves lucky to have been involved at all. And will I, I think they're going to struggle to get in unless they, well, I mean, how how are they going to prove themselves? It depends how long Shami's out for, because I think he's still he's out for a while. But Bumrah isn't out anymore, and Umesh Yadav I think is back as well. So,
1: I I think yeah, Shami's missing from the squad against England, so there's a space there for sure. Um, and I think you're right. Yeah, it's going to be hard for him to find opportunities to, to come in and, and displace one of these, one of these pacemen. Let's talk about Charlotte Takur's bowling. Um, his stat line from his debut test against the West Indies in October 2018. 1.4 overs, no maidens, none for nine. Uh, he got injured on what would have been, what, his 10th ball. Uh, and then a four not out on one leg. Uh, his stat line from this test January 2021, three for 94. Yes, yeah, three for ninety-four, four for fifty-eight, and then sixty-seven in that wonderful partnership. What a game for him! Um, I mean, it's, again, it's Glenn. It's hard to see him displacing any of these bowlers, but he was a far more experienced player coming in. You could see that he could hold an end a bit easier than Natarajan. And again, he got good movement through the air and off the pitch. He was going to be useful in lots of conditions. But you know, is it just a you know a good thing for India to have him as as a squad depth player, or can you see him? Musting his way into this side,
0: I think he showed a bit more long-term potential than Natarajan, who Natarajan actually reminded me a tiny bit of Sam Curran. I think he does offer something a bit different, and I would like to see him play in England. I think that's a really good point from Zach. I think those conditions might suit him a bit more than the, the very flat and kind of bouncy, um, Australian pitches that didn't do him any favors. Um, the court was great. I mean, the stats are decent. You know, seven wickets at 22. That's really it was really tidy. um alongside that magnificent innings um, in the last game. It's very interesting that both these bowlers were actually just kind of placed there mainly for limited overs cricket. You could say that for the majority of the squad. And a couple of the players who actually played in the test matches were literally just kept around to bowl to the batsmen uh, as as net bowlers. I mean, I would honestly say that if the batting was maybe India B, I think the bowling was probably India C. And the fact that they've turned over... Australia at no other than the Gabba I mean it's tough to, to say anything I mean what words really can't underline how much of an achievement that is um it's interesting I would draw a contrast between the bowling that does feel like they were plugging holes whereas the batting I feel like there actually was that long-term potential I mean I just want to shout out Gil who was glorious um it was ridiculous that he was uncapped in the test format before this would you have noticed it he showed more poise and assurance than the majority of long term batsmen on both teams um i think you can we can get onto australia in a couple of minutes but i think again contrast between gill very assured the australian opus looked nervous looked inconsistent and he actually built the platform multiple times for this india team to really go out and win the game i genuinely think without gill um making that wonderful partnership with um with Rohit sharma at the top i think those two together a were just a great partnership anyway but b they really laid the groundwork for the later success lower down the order and I think they were two of the key players. Obviously, Pant will rightly get the accolades for this game because he deserves it. But I think Gil was among my favourites, probably top two standouts from this series. Uh, Yeah,
1: I I agree about the the sort of... I was gobsmacked, he wasn't capped before. Um, Zach, you talked about his his bat not being um, sponsored yet. I'm sure it will be by the time he plays in England. It made the the, the greatest noise, I think. Maybe it's because there was an empty gabber just kind of helping it acoustically. But, jeez, he hits the ball and times it so sweetly. Um, He has that little red hanky in his right pocket as as luck. That was pretty cool. I like that bit of a character. And he's a bit of a strange batsman. He, he doesn't use his feet that much for an opener. He likes to stay very leg side of the ball. Um, I I don't know where his weaknesses. I'm sure there'll be some will come out in the future, but I didn't really see any yet. Um, And this is a perfect segue to India's batting. will. I mean, resolute is a word determined is another word, depending on who you're speaking to. Intelligent is another word, but to have two, Day five, um, you know, one, one fighting out for a draw that also could have been a win, the third test. And then winning this one, two day five innings. I mean, I can't speak highly enough of this batting order that is missing Virat Kohli still.
2: Well, yeah, it's interesting Glenn mentioned the, the contrast between Gil looking so assured and the Australian batsman. The other contrast, of course, is, is, is his fellow age group cohort, who he's pushed out of the side, pretty, pretty sure who has lost his place in the squad for the England tour. Um, and the contrast there was was so extraordinary that you sort of wonder how Shaw was the favored option for so long and, and Gill ignored because he, Gill looked so assured and so at home there and played some wonderful stroke play in a way that Shaw was just sort of all at sea and couldn't even get his balance right. Um, that's not to say we, we can write off Shaw because he's got a brilliant first class and youth record. So I'm, I'm sure he'll come back into the side at some point. But Gil's incredibly exciting. I mean, I think he's the type of player that could well be an opener for India for the next 10 years. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a serious, serious talent. Um, and also, it's, it's rare to have an age group of, of talented young players come through all at the same time and all together uh, in the way that Gil and Pant and, and I'm raving about Padakal coming in behind them, who, by the way, averages 60 in A-list cricket. Um, so there's a, there's, there's a real sort of source of optimism there for India. And I think Glenn's absolutely right that if the bowling was plugging gaps, the batting was about building for the future
0: and just one just one more thing i think we've we can't move on without mentioning the resilience of pajara uh two wonderful stats for you the, the 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 second i just found a minute ago and i'm so excited to share it number one this is quite a clear stat he was hit 14 times on the helmet or body across the series that's a record um for one player since records began uh totaling how many hits you got 10 of those were in the final test. And I'm sure at least eight of them were literally yesterday. (laughs) The way he played and carried on against um, a very aggressive um, Australian attack who I think were wrong to target the body instead of the wickets. I think we can mention that again in a moment because it didn't work. But the most interesting stat. This is the list in order of um, the most test balls faced by a batsman in Australia since 2018. Number one is Labashain with 2,586. Number two is Pajara with 2,177, followed by Head Smith Warner. Followed by Australians
1: who who should be faced more
0: (laughs) People who live there and play there all the time. It's (laughs) extraordinary. what what a player, what a brilliant foil to everyone else. but in his own right, um he got a bit of um, he got a bit of criticism for his for his scoring rate. I think it was a third test. it was a second or third. but I mean he just validated his approach, his technique, and his his mindset. I don't know many batsmen in the world, if any, who would have survived yesterday as long as he did with the with the with the attack of the Australians. and what a player and congratulations.
2: Yeah, just, just to follow up on that, I, I made a note of this while it was going on because it, it became really apparent that that was the strategy they were targeting. Pajaro, as you say, about 10 hits overall yesterday. He took three directly on the head when the Aussie commentators told their bowlers to um, rip the helmet off him, I think was the phrase they used. He took one that landed straight on the finger and he went down and looked like it was broken for a bit. One just above the point of the elbow, which looked horribly painful. <laughs> um, and yeah, as you say, 14 in the series overall. Just unbelievable resilience from him.
1: I, I heard someone describe his batting as masochistic, and I, after watching <laughs> that, I really think it is. He, he's, he's a different, he's a different breed, isn't he? Um, so yeah, 928 balls faced this series, um, only average 33. But that doesn't tell half of the story, does it?
3: No, I don't think it does. I think my favourite thing is is him batting with Rashad Pant because it's just such a contrasting style, but it kind of works. I think well, I mean it doesn't kind of work. It really works. Like okay, it's so nice. It's kind of almost like. Rishabh Pant's crazy, you know. Usually quite high strike rate. Striker wasn't actually that high today. Kind of counteracts Pujara's low strike rate. So it's kind of, you know, in general they're going at three and over. You know, so it works perfectly. They're great. They uh, they balance each other out.
1: I was gonna I was gonna say they dovetail together quite nicely. Just get get that balance word. You know, sort of edged out of Calcorn a little bit. Although we do love it. And yet yeah, to think Rishabh Pant was not in the first. Uh, the first test team to think he could ever be dropped again is now ridiculous um, an average of 65 across the series obviously he's 96 in Sydney in his match winning knock at the Gabba strike rate across the series is 69 um, so that's you know a fantastic number to have and reached his um, 1,000 test run milestone uh, in the innings yesterday as well so I don't know what to ask about Pant really just you know someone, someone waxed lyrically about him for me
0: I mean, he is extraordinary. But one thing I would say is that his keeping at the test level for me isn't quite there yet. There yet. But what he's done is he's almost guaranteed himself a spot in the team as a specialist batsman. Yes. How on earth could you drop him now? So I think. For him, it was almost a perfect series in the sense that, yeah, he, he didn't keep brilliantly, but his batting was obviously just on a different level. It was a Ben Stokes-esque innings um, yesterday to carry the team and to bring them there. And just his infectious energy, we kind of talked about it earlier with another another couple of players, but it's just his his enthusiasm for the game. He loves cricket, and he seems to be a really, really likable guy. And what's really sad about, uh, india playing england next is that this is such a likable india team especially in contrast to the vill- <laughs> to the villainous aussies who are just you know a group of brutes that didn't really offer much this is like a really technical team it's a fun team um it's an energetic team and i think he encapsulates that um so i think thankfully for us as massive fans of him everyone in this um and this pod loves him i think he his place is pretty much assured the only question mark for me is is he a good enough keeper for the next five years for tests? Cause I'm not sure he is.
3: But the thing is, is that like, like you said, he's guaranteed as a batsman. And if they want to bring back in Saha, they don't necessarily need to get rid of Pant. There was, I think it was at one point it was touted that Saha was going to come back in for one of these tests and Pant was going to play as a specialist batsman. And I don't know if it would, I don't know how, I don't, obviously we don't hear, you know, as much about them. Like I know, with the England side, Butler is really keen to keep, and obviously it's kind of like quite a big thing that Butler gets to keep, even though people seem to think that Besto and folks are better than him, but I don't know if that's the case with Pant, because obviously if he's not that fussed about it, and they think there's space for Saha, then you know, Saha is a better keeper than him, but can they survive it? Yeah, but uh, I'm sorry, I'm saying but all the time, but uh, <laughs> um, Pant it, it, it was keeping they do say keeping in australia is the is the easiest place to keep and mm-hmm. he didn't make it look easy mm-hmm. four tests in Aust- in in india i mean his home conditions and then england we saw how the pakistan and west indies keepers struggled last um Douric seemed to get hit constantly poor guy yeah. uh, <laughs> yes, that'll be a big test if they do keep him as wicketkeeper for that, for those series to see you know if he is up to it like you say Glenn
1: it's a, it's a very good footnote on Rishabh And i think you both brought up there that you know whilst he is amazing let's keep him grounded a bit i'm sure he's listening as well well done rishabh <laughs> um, and will i want to come to you just as we round off um india with with there's been so many players that have played in this in this test series um and we'll come onto a full 11 at the end of the pod but out of you know i think we've already hinted to it a little bit but your gill um washington takor natarajan siraj and saini who we've not mentioned yet who of these do you want to see in that test series against England, which comes up next? Who do you think has got more longevity out of this wealth of players we've seen across this series?
2: I think Gil and Pant are the two that, that will probably be there for the next many, many years. I think he, the, both of you are absolutely right to highlight that his, his role in the team isn't quite settled. And, and therefore, Gil, you're probably the most excited for in that he, he slots right in. He knows his role. Yeah. He's pretty much made it his own already. Um, it's interesting with Pant because, I mean, I don't get... You're right that we can't know what's going on behind the scenes. I I don't quite ever get the sense that he's particularly wedded to his keeping. I sort of get the sense that that's what he's done coming through the youth teams and and sort of ended up doing it um, in the first team. Um, Although, as you said, Dan, he's now broken Emma Stoney's record for the fastest Indian wicketkeeper to get to 1,000 runs. So he can have that record to himself (laughs) and then segue away from the role. Um, I I guess the tricky thing for India is that, as you say, Saha can come in, but Saha's 35 now, so there isn't... Quite a long-term replacement for that role. And I, I can't think of anyone who's, who's knocking on the door to come into the side, so I think he might still keep knocking keep sort of knocking around in that role, mainly because they don't have a huge amount of other options. But I certainly agree that, that his future probably is as, as a specialist batsman.
3: The only other person I can think of is Kale Rahul, who obviously is a part-time wicketkeeper. So part-time wicketkeepers, you know, they do a job in ODIs and stuff, but I can't see them wanting to do it for Test matches.
1: I just don't think pants keeping's that bad enough to just get him out of the position completely until he has a total meltdown. I, I think we you keep him there surely. And I think I think Zach, you're right that England will be a big test for him. I'm sure he'll be fine in India in his home conditions uh, when England tour there. Um, so I mean, congratulations to India. It was just a stunning, stunning series that will live long in the memory of cricket fans and non-cricket fans. I think it's kind of slightly transcended that uh, the story that they've they've produced. Um, Andy Zaltzman, the the TMS stat man said, uh, new blueprint for winning a series in Australia. Lose your best batsman, lose your entire seam attack, lose your two best spinners, lose the first test, debut five players, have no batsman with over 300 runs in the series, have no bowler with 15 wickets in the series. Uh, Bingo. One of the great team squad performances and squad performance is the key there. I think credit has to go to uh, the setup behind India, the coaching that to have your net bowlers so prepared that they can come in and win a series at the gabba it is quite stunning for me
3: i saw a great reply to that tweet that was saying is isn't that what england do every time they go to australia <laughs> <laughs> and still fail drastically and you know
1: is is this the blueprint for england over um 2021 22 winter let's hope so hey but let's move on to the aussies because um quite an embarrassing uh couple of weeks for them and again i don't want to We've given the credit to India, so this chat about Australia will be, you know, they they haven't imploded totally, but there's uh, just some things going wrong there. So their first loss of the Gabba since 1988, uh, and twice now they've failed to to bowl an Indian side out with you know a whole day and then 130 overs in the in the third test. So a lot of overs that we want to bowl a team out, a very good batting lineup as we have just mentioned. But Zach, what do you think is going wrong? I mean Stark had a really quite average day I don't think had a great series but Cummins and Hazelwood were were metronomic at times and they still couldn't find a way Uh, for me it's probably the lion issue which is why Australia struggled to bowl India out twice
3: yeah it's it's interesting because we talk about uh, we when we've we've talked about on this podcast about how amazing a bowling attack this is and on paper it is an amazing bowling attack and you look at you look at all their records, they've all got fantastic records. You look at the kind of difference they give. Stark, you know, he's a bit taller. He's a bit faster. Then Cummins is, you know, he's is, is, is the best test bowler in the world and he's brilliant. And then Hazel would just, you know, he hits that length. I saw a thing that said Cummins, uh, that was Cummins' pitch map for the whole series. And he hadn't bowled a ball that pitched outside leg the whole series in any of his overs. And he bowled, I mean, he bowled 27 overs in the, in the in the final innings of this. So a hell of a lot more than that across the series. But yeah, it's the, it's the lack of Lyon because they need Lyon to, you know, especially on a fifth day pitch, the pressure's on him and he needs to take the wickets. And also uh, like, he needs to take the wickets and he needs to, if he's not taking the wickets, he needs to take the pressure off and really keep the, you know, keep, well, not take, not take the pressure off, keep the pressure on the batsman, take the pressure off the other bowlers by keeping it tight. And it's, it wasn't what he did today. It seems like since Rishabh Pant went for him in the last test, he just hasn't recovered. And will he recover? You know, I'm sure he will. He's a fantastic player. He's stuck, stranded on 399 test wickets now. Is the you know, second best spinner they've ever had in Australia? But and I don't think he's, I, I, he's just had a bad series and I'm sure he will come back. But there is question marks I've seen on Australian Twitter. Is he done? Is it, is it the end for Nathan Lyon? And I think it's, I think that's a bit premature.
0: Yeah. So just to speak to that, it's a great point, Zach. Uh, the Quick Viz, the QuickViz Analyst, one of our favorite um, Twitter sites for stats, they're absolutely fantastic. Check them out. They've compared the spin bowling um, across this series from India and Australia. So India, comprised of Ashwin, Jajaja and Washington, have 23, 23 wickets, um, an average of 26. Um, Lion and Labashane, again, Labashane's a part-timer, take that into account, but Lyon on home turf should be doing much better. Together, they have a total of nine wickets, less than half of the Indians, at a really poor average of 59. So I think that really lays bare this contrast. Um, I mean, Ashwin was bowling with a bad back. Um, at least he was definitely batting with a bad back for the last game he played in. Dejeja was bowling with an injured finger for lots of that. And it was Washington's first ever test. So there's mitigating circumstances for every one of the Indian spinners in that. There's no excuses for Lion and One thing I would say is that when I did see Lion Bowl for extended spells, he wasn't bad by any means. He actually, especially in the third test, I think, gone into a really nice rhythm, and he did look good. And last night when I was watching the final test, there were a couple. One hit a crack. Um, There was one great one that hit a crack and became a leg break and went four byes. I think we remember that one. But... I think you're spot on um, to, to mention that this fear of Pan he was basically knocked out of the attack because they couldn't set an attacking enough field. Nathan Lyon, I feel, is best when there's four men round the bat and, you know, it's the, it's the fifth day and there's cracks in the pitch. He didn't have that luxury. And, you know, when push came to shove and it was actually up to him to spin players out of the game just by himself, he couldn't do it. So I think it's really interesting. And maybe the Aussie comms will stop calling him the goat, considering he didn't get many wickets. <laughs>
1: Tim Payne does that as well, and it just drives me burlesque. I just, I just can't, I can't handle it. And Shane Warne was going off before I went to bed last night, so you know, early in the morning session about how there was no offside back pad, no city point to Pajara, uh, and again, he looked like he had the number on Pajara, and, and the field wasn't that attacking. Um, again, we'll come on to Tim Payne's leadership and captaincy shortly, but I just found it really strange and unlike Nathan Lyon to have two chances to you know have a real impact on a day five pitch and you know this this wasn't turning square this wasn't gall but there were huge cracks on there we saw one off break turn into a leg spinner and he just didn't get involved at all And I think I put a lot of pressure on a seam attack that had an injured Stark and you know a Hazel that wasn't quite on it on Sunday and a very good Pat Cummins but you can't rely on just Cummins and Hazel all the time
3: it's an interesting point you make about that. The Shane Warland is obsessed with bat pads on the offside. <laughs> it follows the only thing he talks about. And he, if you, I mean, if you ever want to, you know, know what Shane Warne's going to talk about in commentary in a nutshell, he's either going to say something questionable or he's going to say the field isn't attacking enough. He always, <laughs> always wants a more attacking field. And today, and sometimes he's justified. And obviously, he, you know. He did take 700 Test wickets. Fair mm-hmm. enough. He does know a thing or two about you know taking wickets on the fifth day, and he was he was actually right with lots of what you are saying today. There was there were times when they just they had both long on and long off back. They had five men around the boundary, and if they well, as soon as they brought one of the men up, they brought long on up. But a ball turned a long way, ended up going for. I think two buys because Payne missed the chance to stump Pant. Obviously, Pant just threw the kitchen sink it as soon as they brought up. next ball. Pan spanks over long on for six because that's Rashad Pan and that's what he wants to do. But if you bring that player up, he then did it. He was starting to miss hit, but they weren't, you know, they weren't, they didn't have enough, they weren't attacking enough. It was almost like it was, it was almost like they didn't, they weren't expecting Lyon to take the wickets, even though it was a fifth day pitch.
0: Yeah, and Will, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. I feel like that missed chance um, for anyone who didn't see it. Zach just kind of mentioned, Lion bowled it. Pant came forward. He did get an edge. Kind of went between. He kind of just flew past Payne and Smith. I think it was at slip. Couldn't grab it in time. Will, do you think that was a pivotal moment in the game? Because in my opinion, if Pant had been, if Pant had got out right then, I think Australia would have drawn, if not potentially won the test. Do you see it as that important?
2: Yeah, I think it's a good point. And it, it was in quick succession. There was that one which which easily could have been caught or hit the stumps. There was another which Pan top-edged into into the heavens mm-hmm. and could have fallen anywhere and luckily <laughs> no one caught it. Um, as you say, he, he, he did some absolute torment of Pajara uh, just before lunch, I think. So there, it wasn't always bad bowling from Lyon and, and he could have got the breakthrough that won the game. And that's that's always the difficult dilemma. You know, the com- the commentators, as you say, were obsessed with a more attacking field. They kept saying like, there's no good being patient. Well, sometimes there is good being patient. That's that's sort of what test cricket is about a lot of the time. But I think I do agree in the end that once that hadn't worked for as long as it hadn't worked, and you'd sort of, there was a window where the opportunity to get pant out and make India suddenly think that they couldn't win anymore, that window passed. There was a point where it sort of became clear that India were going to go for it one way or the other because there weren't that many runs left on the board. And I think at that point, for me, the failing is more on the captain than the bowler to not seriously adjust the strategy in the field and come up with a new plan.
1: What what was Panton out of interest on those two those two chances you mentioned? Where where was he in his innings and where would you know roughly where India were? Like, you know, how, how changing might this have been? He
2: was on he was above his half century, so he would have been something like sixty.
1: That would have been pivotal then, wouldn't it? I think you are both right there. And I think Will, you bring up a great point about pain I think that's a perfect segue onto onto him and, it, and his leadership and his captaincy will come under scrutiny again um thankfully it's just for his cricket this time as opposed to actions on and off the field um zach you, you want to go in here let, let do it go, go mad because the the loss to lose a series seemed unthinkable when the two sides were put out at the start of this fourth test a draw seemed on the cards after let's say tackles and washington's innings but i, d- I didn't see india winning this until well even when I went to bed and it would, they were 60 for one, I was like, mm, something's going to go wrong here. And I woke up and they won it. So <laughs> what's gone wrong with Tim Payne and his captaincy? Or has it always been like this? And we can point to Headingley in 2019.
3: Yeah. I mean, it seemed like a repeat of Headingley 2019. It seemed like the last test match was almost another Headingley where they've kind of bottled it under pressure. He, you know, he threw away another, at least one review today. And, as he does under pressure, it seems, and it was there was yeah there was it was a review where I can't remember which batsman it was. I think it might have been Mayank, and he 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 didn't edge it. It was it was a caught behind, and Payne was so sure, and Mayank just hadn't edged it. It was relatively close to the bat, but it was just another one of those things where it was a pressure situation. He wants the wicket. He like, but he's bottled the he's bottled the review again. They did have multiple reviews, but yeah, he's just. I think he's just he's just average, isn't he? Like he's not he's not Australia who are meant to be you know they're the best team in the world. They're you know they've they've got some amazing players, but he's just he, he's just nothing special. I think, and he's I think the issue for Australia is as a captain. Yeah, they could find a better captain, but I think them finding a better wicketkeeper batsman is a difficult thing because I was looking at the wicketkeeper batsman who who are playing for the Sheffield Shield sides. And there's only one who averages better than, well, not better than Payne, because Payne averages really bad, actually, in first-class cricket. It's about 27. But none of them average more than 30, other than a guy called Sam Whiteman, who averages 35, and he was born in Doncaster in South Yorkshire before emigrating to Western Australia as a child. So that's a interesting little segue. Obviously, Matthew Wade is another option, has kept in a few test matches. But again, like we said with Richard Pam, I'm not sure how keen he is on the keeping,
1: that's a good point. I think Tim Payne had quite a good series with the bat, unfortunately, because I don't like seeing him do well. And I think he averaged about 40. and not out help that. But yeah, I agree with you, Zach. He's just a bit of an average captain. They could probably keep him in the side because he's a decent-ish wicket keeper. He can average 30 with a bat, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, Glenn, what are your thoughts on, on Payne's captaincy? Um, and we'll come on to the Australia team more broadly in a minute
0: i can only agree with what you both just said so two key stats which i think really back up both your points number one his batting was perfectly fine this series um he was the third highest run scorer for um australia which is that's actually quite shocking that speaks to how poorly um and i want to get onto that in a moment if we can how how bad the rest of the batsmen fared um so batting actually wasn't horrific and he always has this kind of very decent rear guard action. I feel like he bats pretty well with the tail and he can usually eke out another 50-60 when a lot of players couldn't. However, his captaincy has been a bit of a mess and um, his win percentage as Australian captain is now 48%, which is the lowest of any Australian captain since Alan Border, Years and years since obviously Alan Border captained the team. So what I think is really interesting, and this is all, all I'll say extra on this is that it felt like he was brought into the team as this unifier, you know, post the Smith debacle with Warner, et cetera, et cetera. And he was brought in to kind of, um, it was almost a PR move, you know, really change the image of Australian cricket. And what I'm going to hold against him is not his bad DRS decisions. It's not his lackluster captaincy. It's his attitude on the field in that third test because he lost his head and All of this work they've done to rehabilitate Australia, for better or worse, again, clearly, I think all of us realized it was pretty superficial come this India test. It just fell apart from the top. You know, the abuse he was giving players, he he lost his cool. So I think for that reason, and that reason alone, he doesn't really deserve to be captain anymore. That's, That's my opinion on it.
1: And it'll be a fascinating thing to see play out, Glenn, because I agree. I think if he were to lose the captaincy now, it wouldn't be that shocking. And I think his his poor field placements, I think when we look at Lyon again, you know, is he being that attacking? Does that does that flow through the team? Does his poor DRS decisions affect his best bowlers' bowling? Do they start to panic? Um, his kind of energy does
3: radiate through that team. I mean, the question marks around, you. yeah, I completely agree with both of your points, and, yeah, I'll come to Will on this. Who, who would replace him as captain? I think that's the difficult question because Pat Cummins is vice-captain, but, you know, a bowler being captain, a fast bowler especially, they miss test matches because they're rested and that's, you know, a captain doesn't, doesn't really do that. It's quite rare. And a bowler can get injured. And again, you know, it's, I mean, obviously a captain can get injured, but, you know, a batsman's kind of less likely to get injured. So I don't know who you think should replace him. Should it be Cummins? I mean, he... You know he's a good player. He's obviously a very good player. His place is assured, and I think that's an important thing, because they're not going to go back to Smith, are they?
2: It's a great question, and like Dan said, you definitely wouldn't be surprised for him to lose that captaincy. Um, I've not seen any of the Australian reaction yet, but I I, I wouldn't expect he would be particularly forgiving, um, given that he's now lost two home series in Australia to India. The first time with the excuse of not having Smith and Warner. This time with with <laughs> less than no excuses. So I'd be surprised if, if lots of the Aussie media and fans don't put a lot of pressure on him and, and that leads him to go. As you say, who's the alternative is the big question. My gut feeling on it, and I, this is not based on anything, I think we might be overestimating the, oh, but they can't give it back to Smith factor. I think probably if he'd had a very good batting performance in this test that they may well have done on the basis that there seems to be this sort of slightly strange relationship in the international cricket community, um, we've seen this with Virat Kohli and also English cricket broadcasters, where as soon as Smith gets a century, it's like no, the, the moral thing now is that we forgive whatever he's done in the past; he's now <laughs> fine again. Um, but I, I do think he's an option for them. Matthew Wade seems to be knocking around. I suppose he's the other option. That Cummins is reco, I'm sorry. Other than Gola,
1: the the Matt Wade one is so reckless. I, I I'd rather have Tim Payne if I was an Aussie. Let's be real. But you're right, Will. You're right. I mean, I, I think I agree with you now. Give it back to Smith. It has has enough time passed, Glenn, for you or no? And it definitely can't be David Warner because
0: I just I just don't like him. I just don't think it's a great image for the game. You know, obviously, uh, we've we've all moved on, and I've got over the whole sandpaper thing. And I think it's... I haven't.
1: I lose sleep over it still.
0: <sighs> well, well, basically, I I haven't myself, and I thought you <laughs> were, so that's why I was saying it.
3: Uh,
0: <laughs> I, I, that was pretty disgraceful. Although uh, what I would say is that, yeah, I think if if a, a sentence, so to speak, is given, it's been served, like at the end of the day, I think playing cricket is something that they can be doing. What I think is really reckless and irresponsible would be giving the captaincy back to him, which is in a way saying, as you've literally just said, if you still score runs for the team, everything is forgiven and forgotten. I don't think that's the right attitude to take. It's a very different role as a player on the field you know he's he already feels like a shadow captain anyway smith we can probably all agree he's always in Payne's ear he's fielding at first slip um he still has this kind of joe root energy about him on the field um which is obviously questionable as it is but i genuinely think making him the focal point and figurehead for australian cricket it would be a massive mistake all I would say is that it's quite clear, as we've just discussed, especially Will spoke so well about it in the last pod, Australian cricket hasn't moved on from this toxic behaviour, this toxic culture, and maybe it is exactly the right thing for a, for a cheat to come back and be the captain. Maybe that's what they deserve. But objectively, from a cricket fan perspective, I, I don't want to see that. And I don't think it sets a good example to young cricketers, young girls and boys playing cricket in Australia, um, saying that you can just cheat and ruin the game and then come back and be the hero again.
1: And it would be, wouldn't it, if they gave it and be like a, a last resort thing, like Payne's and rubbish. We give it back to Smith because if Payne was doing okay and they were lo- even if they're losing or winning, but he was still holding himself in high regard, we wouldn't be having this conversation, and and Smith would still be just the batsman that he is, and a very good one at that. Um, and I wanted to come on to Australia's batting because this was clearly where I think they they lost the series because their bowling was so good, despite not taking. We spoke about the wickets, but they still that's still a good bowling attack. It's going to be locked in. Um, failed to get over 200 until the third test. So that was that was interesting. Um, and then their issues lie at the top of the order where, you know, Harris came in for the injured Pukowski and Pukowski seems to be a bit of an injury doubt. He's had mental health issues as well, which he says he's over now. And he, that they've had quite an open dialogue him in Cricket Australia about that, which is good. Um, so he could he's in and out. So you basically got for them, you can pick between two out of three. So you got Warner, Harris or Pukowski. It'll probably be Warner and Harris come their tour of South Africa. Uh, Harris is two innings. He averaged just 21. That was just that test match. And Warner, who was on one leg, it seemed, for that second test match, just averaged 17. And then if you go down to the issue at number five, you've got Matt Wade, who had eight innings and averaged just below 22. And then Travis Head's three innings, who averaged just below 21. That's where their issues lie, because Warner is fine. We like him. Because he looks good, but is a bit doubtful. Obviously, you've got Smith-Labashane. Um, Cameron Green had himself a good series. I think they found one there at six, averaging thirty-four for the series. Still no wickets, but we don't need his bowling yet. Uh, I don't know where you want to start, um, Zach. Do you want to look at? I think their main issues is at five, if I was to pick an area, because I think Bukowski will come good.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think their issues at five, like you said, I I can't believe Wade did that badly. I kind of, I don't know. There's something. There's something about the fighter in Wade, even though obviously he's meant to be horrible on the pitch and stuff. I kind of always. Liked, especially I don't say liked, maybe, but admired, maybe a little bit, because it's like when he was when he when he opened the batting, it looked so out of place. But then when he comes in at five and still has the same style, it looks like it shouldn't be a test match style because he's not the most. I think it's this kind of similar thing with Warner, but with Warner it works better. But yeah, with Warner again, is he? You know, is he okay? He obviously he's been batting on one leg, but Siraj seemed to have a number on him. Joffre Archer's got a number on him. Stuart Broad's got a number on him. How many bowlers are going to have a number on you before it's not the bowlers? <laughs> it's it's the batsman. I mean, yeah, who who comes in at five? I think there's been mention of McDermott, who's doing very well for the Hobart Hurricanes, but I haven't I don't know much about him, I'm not gonna lie. And, you know, inexperienced. Should Head get a recall? He's not done that much wrong, but it seems like he's not done that much right either. I think it's kind of a Oh, there's no one else. We'll, we'll, we'll let head back in because, again, I've said it before. He's been touted as a future Australia captain. He's statesman-like. He's meant to be a nice bloke. I know you guys love him because he played for Sussex. So, <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: But he obviously, if he if he can't hold down his place in the team, he can't be captain.
0: Yeah, and just just looking a bit closer, um, I totally agree. Zach. just looking a bit closer at Matthew Wade's stats from this series, they make for very interesting reading. So. He got 173 runs, a very poor average of 21. What's super interesting, and Wisdom pointed this out, is that he actually crossed the 30-mark run on four out of his eight innings, so half the time, yet his high score was 45. So not once was he able to convert that 30, not into not only into like 100 or something, into a 50. He couldn't even manage to get 20 more runs. And I think his concentration just kept lapsing. And something that we've all pointed out is his very sloppy shot selection, especially against spin um no need to be so aggressive when the number five role i mean obviously you can approach it like pan if you're good enough to do that but the number five also can be an anchor and he was the best of neither worlds because he neither stuck around nor actually got the runs his attacking shot should have got him so yeah and I, i think you're absolutely right zach in terms of replacements yeah i mean travis head you hit you hit the nail on the head for me. I don't think he's that bad, but is he that good? Do, do, does he? Make, do, do any of these names coming through our head fill us with excitement the way that the Indian young Indian players do? No chance. Um, and, Dan, you touched on it. My final thing to say on the young Australians is that Cameron Green and Pekowski look really decent, but I think you really pointed, obviously, Pekowski, as you rightly said, has struggled with um, with mental health and issues off the field. His, I thought he was excellent, the game he did play. Um, He got a really good 62. I think he looks like a real class act. And um, just to talk about Cameron Green, he bowled a lot for no wickets. Um, Very unfortunate for him. Bowling was a little bit all over the place for me, but his batting was very decent. I mean, he averaged 33, but that high score of 84 he got um, in Sydney uh, was brilliant. So I was happy with those two. But these kind of like almost like elder statesmen of the team or these kind of experienced members of the team are just not performing for Australia right now.
1: Yeah, I think on green, so it's 44 overs. He bowled and went for 118 runs with no return and uh, they don't need him, which is why he's getting away with that because their pace attack is so, so strong. But when, you know, when one of them goes or one of them gets injured or I don't know, you need a four seamer sometimes, um, you know, Ben Stokes will chip in Jason Holder. Well, he's more than a four seamer, but he chips in these kind of players will get wicked. So, that's something for him to work on, but a good number six, nonetheless. And then, yeah, head head always. Imagine coming into the team being like, okay, Wade wasn't that good. He gives his wicket away. You're all right. He seems to come in with that and just gets out for 30 again. So they're struggling a bit there. But um, they tour South Africa next. I expect Payne to still be in charge there. But, you know, you'd never know after that. And then maybe maybe his last series might be that, that Ashes series Um and hopefully he loses that but I want to end this pod on India because it is all about them and rightly so because this was just a stunning series as we've alluded to at the start of the pod but Will I want to come to you just to sort of summarise this for us as an Indian fan you know how good was this um, how does it feel how excited are you for the future of the team and then just give us a flavour of what you think India will do against England give me a starting 11 perhaps or just some of the players that are going to be coming back in and those that might have dropped out from this test
2: I watched the documentary that Sky did yesterday about England's uh, Cricket World Cup win. And it's the it's the closest emotionally I felt around sports to that time, yeah. just in terms of the buzz around the game itself, but also the whole wider culture of it. I was texting my Indian cousins. They were having a great time, started sending me memes I didn't remotely understand. But we love it. <laughs> um, and I think it was it was absolutely brilliant in these bleak times to have have one sport which each and every test was competitive and was entertaining to watch. And two, to have a really positive platform to build on for Indian cricket and something to celebrate and to know that when we go forward into, into the England tests and beyond, there's not just a first 11 of good players there, but a whole sort of successful and thriving cricket culture. Um, I think that's the main takeaway.
1: Uh, Glenn, obviously with England touring India now, as, as an England fan, I'm, I'm quite scared. Are you quite scared? How, how are we going to
0: turn this team over? I think we've got to hope India play their D team this time instead of their <laughs> C plus, And we might have a chance. I'm not too sure. Give the kit man a game. I, I mean, it's amazing. And, um, I know Will's collating his, his suggested 11 for that, for that series. And I, I don't envy him because I do not know who I would drop out of this team. We have a lo- we have a bucket load of talents come in. We've had a really, really impressive selection of debutantes We've had the experienced players, unlike Australia, really stepping up and, you know, marshalling those younger players and setting an example on and off the field. And honestly, I don't usually get that emotional about sport unless, as Will said, it's like an England final, or, you know, I've had a couple of Brentford games recently, but watching the Indian... uh, players and team kind of do their lap of honor at the end of the game it was about half one last night in the morning and i got a bit emotional it was just absolutely wonderful and it was the perfect tonic to this you know colder clinical lockdown where we feel so apart from everything it was awesome to see a team do so well um and congratulations to india it was a brilliant series and as, as good as you could possibly see did 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 that game not give
1: you as much joy as a 1 0 win away to Rotherham? Or, you know, where are we ranking these two things then as as a Brentford fan?
0: A hard fought point at Preston, I think. A 0 0 at Preston (laughs) would be about the level. (laughs) Go on then, Will. Have you got your 11 for that first test? We'll
1: obviously have a preview pod, but I think as we're talking about it, it's nice to allude to it now and we can mull over it for the next couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, well, they just announced the squad today, so this is a, a first reaction. I'm sure all of this will be wrong. Um, but there's a few interesting additions and subtractions. Shaw and Natarajan unfortunately miss out at the moment, although, as we've seen, that they might come in at some point later in the tour. Um, Vera obviously backs so my only casualty from from the batting lineup, unfortunately, is Mayank, which I think is a little bit harsh. Um, but I've gone with um, Gill and Sharma to open, Kohli coming in at three, Pajara, Rahane at five. Pant, and the man who we refuse to go to the Cow Corner podcast without mentioning, Hardik Pandya is in the oh, test squad, ladies oh, and gentlemen. We said
1: pre-recording. This is a Pandya-free zone. There he is. Well <laughs> done. Well done, Well, You win.
2: So so Hardik comes in at seven, and then you've got the two spinners, Washington Sundar and Kuldeep Yadav, uh, and then Shadal Takur and Bumrah. Uh, wait, wait, is Ashwin not back? He's in the squad, I think, but I don't think he'll play the first test.
3: Would
1: you, would you play him if he was fit?
2: No, because I think it's nice to have the, the, the different element that Deep gives. Interesting. bit of a spin. Wait, so pace bowlers you went with there, uh, Boomer and Takord. Yeah. So Ishan Sharma is back in the squad. But again, I think first test might be a stretch for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've i read something similar. And then on my ankle I don't think that's that harsh. He averaged 13 from his six innings. And he looks competent. Don't get me wrong. I think he's another one of those good players you've got coming through. But yeah, I don't think he's too too sorry to miss out there so that's very that's very very interesting I'm gonna I'm gonna mull over that myself and we'll have the preview part where we come with our full 11s and we should hopefully have some more injury news uh by that time I think it starts on February the 5th so a couple of weeks away now and then you get themselves out of Australia and out of that uh out of that bubble for, for a little while at least um so that will about wrap it up for for this part I've found it really cathartic guys I don't know about you but I had so much like pent-up cricket things i need to talk about and my mom and dad just don't suffice really they as much as i like there's very little back and forth from it so thank you so much that was really enjoyable hope you've enjoyed listening at home um zach thank you so much
3: go get some sleep as well mate. yeah thank you i mean it's been the same thing for me i've been kind of when i woke up my girlfriend this morning once it was finished i was trying to i was kind of talking at her and trying to explain everything to her (laughs) i was like yeah yeah, it was like the highest chase by like over a 100 and like yeah 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 there's this guy who like been compared to ben stokes and he's really good and yeah it was just like i mean she must have thought i'd had like three coffees but no it was just the buzz of this test match but yeah i'm uh, yeah, coming down slowly from that now and i will enjoy a good night's sleep thank good.
1: you and glenn thank you for joining us um i'd say i get a nap but it's half 11 so that, that seems a bit irresponsible in the in the morning
0: yeah it's half 11 and we've got another pod to record in five minutes so <laughs> i'll try and stay awake for you all
1: <laughs> and will thank you so much good luck getting yourself back on uh, on gmt away from some australian time
0: thank you very
2: much I'm, I'm gonna go sleep and hopefully return to the daylight
1: good good and thank you so much for listening uh, it's been cow corner we'll be back well very soon as we have going to alluded to with a, a review of the england Sri Lanka pod um, first test and then we'll also be back to preview that india england tour thank you so much for listening